Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Venturing Out. I'm Shane here hosting with Erica. I have Sean and Justin here with Leap Development. We're going to jump right into it. So guys, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, so this is Justin Dora. Um, actually went to Baylor in 1999 from, grew up in Houston. Um, went through the business school, uh, got an accounting degree, worked for Deloitte for about four years and learn I don't want to be a public accountant. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, my journey has been, started out in Houston after I graduated, moved to Portland, Oregon for about eight years, was a pastor for five of those years. Started our family there, so my wife and I have been married 17 years, we have three kids, um, almost 14, 11, and seven. And um, anyway, moved back to Waco in 2014 and worked with a local company. Um, Transitioned jobs, met Sean at the job that I transitioned to, and uh, over the last five or six years, been putting Leap together, and here we are today. So, went full-time in Leap about a year ago, and Sean just came in full-time this month. So, awesome. Yeah, so I graduated from Baylor back in 95, uh, so a little bit longer ago. Uh, business broadcasting, which I think went away in 2011-ish, 2007, was the last year that people graduated with that. But it was a great mix for me of a business degree, advertising, marketing, mixed with a lot of classes in the communication school. Uh, so Dr. Corpy and, and others out there um, who are still here think very fondly of Brian Elliott and others. Went out into really the business world from there for the next five, six years, did trust accounting for most of that time, was in mortgage banking for a while. Um, and then like Justin, went into ministry for many years. I was more on the operational side uh, in ministry, so I was still engaged in um, the business side, doing strategy, um, doing a lot of management. Uh, and both Justin and I uh, started on a journey when we started to connect. Along the way, I got my master's from University of Texas Arlington in uh, public administration. And we started connecting, and it was largely around accounting. Uh, but we, uh, so we started taking on, Justin was already working with some clients doing companies that weren't big enough to have their own in-house CFO. He started doing that in kind of a, a fractional way, where you're not big enough to hire somebody to do it, but you can outsource that. And Justin was kind of building a, a moonlighting practice of doing that. And when he and I started to connect, I was like, hey, if you have, I have an accounting background, if you have any additional clients, you can't handle the workload, let's talk. And strangely enough, the first contract we ever took together had nothing to do with accounting. <laughs> uh, and we jumped straight in and, and a client hired us to do some strategy work with them. And man, it was after that, we really enjoyed the process together. That was late 2016. Uh, and it kind of reshaped, we were thinking accounting at first and it immediately um, changed our trajectory in working together to lead us to where we are today. So uh, we've loved it. It has been a massive journey, learning journey for the two of us. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So you guys started up Leap Development. Can you guys go into a little bit more of what Leap Development is about? Yeah, so when I first moved back in 2014, I actually started Leap's precursor. It was called Simple CFO and did that for a couple months trying to get a business off the ground, not having any clue how difficult that is. <laughs> uh, two months later, I took a job, and a year later, I restarted. Um, over that next year, job transition happened. I mean, Sean, and kind of like what he was just saying, our first project was more strategy, and then even an operations contract that came off of that. And we were like, what is consulting, and how do we do that? 
And so that began the process of reading all kinds of books that were out there and really starting to piece together a framework of who are we, what are we trying to do. And the best I could say it in 30 seconds or less is our target is working with leaders, um, whether entrepreneurial leaders or established businesses doesn't really matter, but to help them get clear on the future. Where are they going as a team or as an organization? How are they gonna get there? So the strategy planning piece, and then the people that are part of that process. So we have tools that help them from selection to development to um, career pathing, all the way to leadership 360s and executive coaching. So our business is focused on leaders and trying to help leaders unlock the potential in their organizations. That's awesome. I think that's really cool. And it's such a, there's a huge market for that and not a lot of people stepping into it. So I am really inspired by y'all's mission. And I think it is something that you just don't hear about a lot, but it's definitely, there's a need for it. And it seems like y'all are stepping right into that need. So tell us about your first customers. Like, what did that look like? How did you get started? You're teaching all these people how to get started, but how did you guys get started? Yeah, a lot of um, reading books <laughs> and then go into the, the meeting. Yeah. Um, you know, because I had an accounting background, um, that's where everything started. But when you start seeing people's finances, you also start to see some of the issues that they're facing. That's right. Okay. Um, because the PL doesn't lie, like the numbers don't lie. Right. And so it just started to give us perspective of, well, what if we did like a projection and that actually needs a plan underneath it and that needs measurables and... And then as we started reading and listening to people in the market, what were they reading? What were the issues they were facing? How do we start to build experience in that? And then some of our initial, like, we've got a working model. It was a lot of, hey, let us practice on you. We'll give you a great discount. <laughs> and, yeah. and a shout out to those people who are our early clients. Yes, right. <laughs> that allowed us, and some of them are still our clients today, they and they have allowed us to continue to beta test with them yeah. mm -hmm. because they felt the benefit, but they've also known they got a discount, but uh, it's benefited them. Yeah. And it was a great, those early people who trusted us, we're so thankful for, because it was a journey of us learning, but them actually getting benefit at the same time. And that's the deal. If you can't bring benefit, then you're sunk. Right. But right. if you can bring benefit and you have people who trust you, that's a make or break early on. And I think the big thing we saw is it's easy to read a book. It's a whole other thing to actually implement what that book yes. talks about. And when you get into real practice, that's where the rubber hits the road and the issues come to the surface. So it is the doing it over and over and over again that starts to build our own understanding and even allowed us to nuance some of the models we use and create more of a blended model from different um, ideas that are out there in terms of frameworks and tools. Yeah, absolutely. And Sean, you mentioned that you're still working with some of those first customers today that you had early on. How often do you retain customers? What does that look like? How do you stick with your customers and keep adding that benefit you talked about um, and the value of from Leap Development further along down the line? You know, that's a... Um that's a question we actually talk about a lot. You know, I, I'm sure you guys being in education and trying to read articles that uh, bring new ideas and innovations, SaaS and subscription-based type of uh, environments, it's the wave of the future where it's how do you not just work with individual clients, but how do you build a, a book of business that is retained over a long period of time. And there's a lot of work that we do that we, we really... Uh, desire that our clients learn, not that we come in and do for them. Uh, we don't want to be a crutch for a client 
So it's, it's, a, um, it's a tension for us of how do you retain clients over a long period of time while also wanting them to feel uh, that their people rise to a level of being optimized and they can do it. Because if, if they get to the point where they can do the work, then they don't need you anymore. But you also want to be in a long-term relationship with a client. Okay. So that's a tension that we constantly talk through. What are the services we want to offer? So like uh, Justin was just talking about doing 360s and coaching. Those are things that can go for a longer period of time. It may be up to six months. It may be up to two years working with a client. The hope would be they get to the point where they're really thriving and able to know how to do this moving forward. Um, but at the same time, there's a place where they can say, hey, I want to continue to engage, but let's pivot. But we want them to do it because they choose to do it, not because they became dependent on us. Does that make sense? So right. that's a tension for us is maintaining longevity with a client in that relationship while still doing what we feel is important is helping to educate and enabling them to feel they can do the work and be confident there. Absolutely. That seems like a delicate balance, but definitely an important one. And as a sales student, I'm inspired to hear that that's a real thing in the business world. I mean, we talk about it in classes all the time, but to hear your story of how you constantly juggle that every day is inspiring. And it's true for sure. But yeah, so we have a lot of different entrepreneur students listening into this podcast. So we're kind of curious to know what were some of y'all's challenges very early on that y'all came across? Y'all mentioned having to do beta testing, but what were those curveballs thrown y'all's way? Yeah, I mean, there's been more than a few. I think <laughs> at some sure. level when you're starting something from scratch, there is no playbook, right? So you're trying to figure out who are we, what do we want to do, what do they need? How does that all intersect at the right spot? Will people pay us money for this? Right. Let's charge this. They're <laughs> going to do it. Okay, we better be able to deliver. How much do we charge? <laughs> Who are we charging? And, you know, you, again, you can read everything. You can talk to people. But at the end of the day, you got to own the outcome. And so there is a, a lot of trial and error in starting something from nothing. We're not a franchise, though we have cobbled together different tools no one handed us a package in systems, and so we're having to continually build and refine and develop those. So I think that's definitely been a challenge. COVID-19 was a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Uh, so I knew about 18 months before I launched when my launch date would be, which was June of 2020. That was in January of 2019, so there was no way to in, you know predict what was coming. Um, so I had made my uh, announcement that I was leaving my current job in January and then three months, two months later it's like lockdown hope this works <laughs> and we had projected Q2 sales and sales just went down and I I would imagine in your classes you get this like in that environment trying to have a sales conversation when people are just trying to stay afloat just doesn't feel right and so thankfully PPP uh, came through and that actually matched it was $2,000 less than what we projected so that gave the launch funds for last um, summer. And uh, thankfully, we've been able to navigate uh, the journey that we've had the last 12 months, 15 months. Um, but those are a couple big ones that come to mind. I don't know if there's others you had. The thing I would say is a, you guys talked a little bit in, in prep for this, even about what's the secret sauce or whatever. Um, Justin is much more of a visionary. Uh, I am much more of a, what, what may be called an integrator or kind of the operations person. To have a partnership, like I cannot imagine anybody starting 
a business and not having both of these roles, honestly. Um, and the challenge that that brings, one is, <laughs> Justin and I have a great story of, you can have so many ideas and you want to launch in so many directions because you're so excited and you want to move forward. Uh, but then Justin can have more ideas along the way. And I'm sitting there going, wait, we need to land. We need to just focus. We need to develop what we have. And there was one specific meeting we were about to walk into that uh, Justin in the parking lot before we walked in, he's like, I have this great idea. What if we, you know, he starts to lay this thing out. And I was like, that's a great idea. Are we talking 18 to 24 months? Because we really need to focus. He's like, totally. We, that's exactly what I'm thinking. We walked into the meeting, halfway through the meeting, he pitches the idea that he just pitched to me in the parking lot and said, we're kind of thinking about this out in the future. Might that be something you're interested in? And I'm looking at Justin just like, what are you talking about? But to have the partnership of somebody else with you who's not wired like you are, I can say all the tools that Justin and I have been learning about and developing over the last five years now, we have had to use with each other. And, and really, I would say the only other person in this world I have had to go to deep with, go deep relationally with, tension, conflict, everything else, other than my wife is Justin. But our understanding of each other, I mean, we have had some intense conversations that at the end have been, wow, I, I feel... Um, the depth of relationship with him in ways I've felt with almost nobody else because we've applied what we've learned with veracity. Um, d doing it alone would have been, neither one of us would have done it. We jokingly say, without me, we would have never started a business. Without Sean, we wouldn't still have a business. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. awesome. It seems like you'll have a really strong dynamic going, and that's really important, especially in a new venture like this. But even more than that, you know, you talked about, Sean, learning as you go. You're learning to grow these businesses, but then you're applying it to yourself, which That's I think right. is so important to keep that humility and know that you've got to take these learnings and apply them to your own business too. So you talked about goals a little bit. Um, I want to plug in a little deeper to that. What are your ultimate goals for Leap Development? Where do you want to go next? Um, I know you're visionaries for your clients, but you got to be visionaries for yourself yeah, too, yeah. right? We'll let the visionary answer that. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this. We definitely have measurables. We have big picture goals. We'd love to be in multiple cities. We'd love to find... Uh, other people like us that we could actually build an office around. They could learn our process. They could expand and service bigger markets. So there's a few that we're talking to right now and looking at. But I think ultimately, I mean, I know this may sound cliche, but we really want to be a part of changing the way work is done, the way leadership is done. We're not the only ones thinking about this. I mean, we're reading people that are thinking about this, but I think we're passionate about it. I think we've had our own bumps along the way, both in being managed and in managing others, that you're like, gosh, there's got to be a different way to do this. And to start reading validated research-based tools and studies where people are saying the same thing and, um, and, and being able to demonstrate and validate it, it's like, okay, this is possible and we don't have to take the status quo. So we really do want to change the way leadership is done. And we're not saying we're the best at it, but we're saying we want to be students of it. We want to learn and grow. And you use the word that we use a lot, humility. We know the way to grow is to recognize what your gaps are and allow other people to speak into that. So I think big picture, that's what we want to see, transformation in the workplace. Um, and it seems like there's this huge move right now where people's work and meaning and purpose are starting to get wed together. So how do we um, intersect there and really help meet some of those needs? 
You know, there's a, a guy at Harvard who's been there the last, I don't know, 40 years. His name's Ronald Heifetz, and he's in the business school. Um, uh, his, his leading work was on adaptive leadership. It's collective leadership. And you guys at Baylor have two guys in your school of education, John Eckert and Matt Thomas, who are doing unbelievable, innovative work in the world of education and collective leadership. I mean, seriously, I would say nationally, they're some of the forefront people. So you guys have a resource in understanding what we're trying to do is help raise awareness in the business world of what collective leadership looks like. What does it mean to develop your people? And these guys are on the forefront of doing that. We're trying to help raise awareness. They're actually practicing a lot of the work already. So just to say, one of the things we want to see, you actually have people here who are doing it in specific spheres in tremendous ways. Yeah. The other thing I'll tag into that, yes, we have vision for larger clients, bigger organizations. We already have some of those. But we also have a real passion for small businesses because I think there's such a huge opportunity for career pathing that most small business owners don't think about because they're just trying to keep the wheels moving of the machine. And so in the clients we work with, we're trying to create awareness and equip them with tools so that they can create a competitive advantage for some of the best and brightest that come out of Baylor and other uh, universities to retain that talent and develop that talent for some ideas that could grow much larger than they are today uh, but they just need a little bit of nurturing along the way. So, yeah. those are a few thoughts. Awesome. That's amazing. And it sounds like y'all are on a great mission um, out in the business world and even beyond that. But, you know, one thing I want to talk about, you everything we're talking about is reminding me a lot of servant leadership. And I think servant leadership here at Baylor, at least, uh, maybe it's just me being at Baylor, but it has become kind of a buzzword. Um, so how are you defining servant leadership and then helping your customers implement that so that we're creating a world where our business leaders are servant leaders? And what does that kind of mean to you? Mm-hmm. So two things that come to mind. Number one, there is a uh, professor here uh, at Baylor in the operations uh, department, I believe, that I was a former president of a local company, and he talks a lot about servant leadership. And one of the things he says is, um, to really see an organization uh, fulfill its potential, it only happens when you're willing to serve those that you're leading. He's like, anybody that says one thing and does another, they won't get to the scale that we're talking about, that um, is reco- that servant leadership is required. So to me, that's a powerful statement from someone who's done it at that level. I think secondarily, from my perspective, leadership is about making other people successful. And it's about um, reproducing leaders, not just getting more followers. So how do I aim my life at people on our team so that they can succeed? And therefore, that may mean they don't always work for us. So how do you keep um, them at the center? That takes a lot of humility and a lot of willingness to learn. And I don't know what your technical definition is of servant leadership, but that's what I think of when I uh, hear that word. I heard um, somebody make, it was the best, one of the best statements I've heard on leadership. And they talked about when a charismatic leader walks into the room, they get bigger. When When a charismatic leader walks into a room of people, they get bigger. When a great leader walks into the room, everybody else in the room gets bigger. And there's a, a term that we came across in a book called scaling leadership. And when we think in terms of uh, servant leadership or what really is leadership, leadership is not about the accomplishment of a task. 
it's not about just being able to espouse vision or getting other people to hear and to experience a vision. It's can you raise up other people into that? Can you scale out your leadership into those people so there's a collective that's moving forward and doing it, not just you? Are they all foot soldiers or are they all leading with you? Because if you raise up other leaders, you're truly leading. Um, I can't remember who, it was one of the CEOs of, of Oracle who at their level of leadership, they said, all I ever do is teach anymore because they knew what it meant to serve their people was to teach. It wasn't to do anymore, but it was how do I teach? And I think that's the thing that we really um, want other leaders to understand is it's not about you doing and everybody following your doing. It's you being you teach into a place to raise them up to a greater level. Yeah, and I love that leap development is really putting that emphasis there within the work industries and what leadership and servant leadership really look like. Kind of going back to more of the business side of stuff with y'all's journey and starting up leap development, you guys mentioned y'all's market being some bigger companies, but y'all also have really have a passion for maybe some of those more mom and pops. What is y'all's target market that y'all are going for? Great question. And we have a few answers to that. So an ideal client for us is over 50 people. Um, it's a leader of a department or in the C-suite, and they believe in developing their people. So kind of those three things. There are five industry niches that we're focusing on right now. Um, small manufacturing, banking, construction, franchising, and nonprofits. Uh, mostly based on the work we've done, but now starting to focus on how do we get, begin to market to those uh, industries and companies within those, or organizations within them, and then how do we build out a really robust practice around that so that we can specialize in some of those areas. It doesn't mean we wouldn't take someone outside of that, uh, but I think we do have some experience and exposure to serve people in those places. That's actually a, a challenge that we felt as well in our growth has been uh, most of the tools that we have apply when you talk about being able to do a 360 or you talk about doing cognitive assessments or, or even uh, growth of your company and vision of your company and where you're going that applies to every company everywhere so being able to say where's the niche that we want to focus on was a huge um challenge that we faced and really narrowing down and, and we did start to go okay where do we feel we're building expertise because of the clients we currently have and trying to franchising working with franchises it's something that all of a sudden these franchises started calling us and asking us questions and engaging with us and we started to realize there are not a lot of people in that space right. so we really started to learn about it and tried to glean as much information as we could so we had something to bring people who were in the franchising world and that became something that is a growing niche for us. But niching, if you don't have a product that's specifically focused on a niche, that was really a challenging journey. Yeah, I wanna, um, I wanna start to pivot a little bit, if that's okay with y'all. But um, you know, our podcast is aimed to help students who have an idea and they want to take it somewhere. And a lot of times that means they have no capital, no resources, no one really behind them. Um, but they have this idea. And you guys, I think, have a really unique stance um, on this issue because 
you went into something where not a lot of people have done this before. There might not have been a lot of resources on how to get it started. And you guys started it from ground up. So how was capital ever an issue for you? How did you have it? How did you get it? And what advice would you give to someone who has a great idea like this, but no one's really done it before? Yeah. We didn't quit our day job. <laughs> Number one. We funded through, a, for, through an eight to five uh, <laughs> and worked on the side for five years. So I think, um, am I opposed to capital? No. We even have some potential opportunities ahead of us. You know, there, when your kind of guts are in the business, there is a piece that's like bringing on capital does create a loss of ownership, uh, which is, feels harder uh, to me. And, um, but <clears throat> I think there was actually a book we read by Adam Grant called Originals. And he talked about the guys that started, I think it was Warby Parker. Um, they all had backup plans. And he was like, actually, originals don't always go all in on something. They will test something to see if it's viable, and then they'll go all in once they see it. And I think that gave us like a little bit of a, oh, we can kind of play with this. And then over time, it started getting more and more serious. And then our commitment level went up, our clarity went up. So we weren't having to do everything overnight. And we weren't feeling the pressure of, we've got to make sales yesterday right. to eat. Um, so that was helpful. But, you know, once you go into business, you have to keep growing the business so that you can keep funding not only the owners, but also as we brought on a team, things like that. And just other expenses that you start to pick up, renting an office, paying someone to help you with marketing, those types of things. That um, Thankfully, we have cash reserves that we're able to work from. And, um, but, but capital is always a thing that you're thinking about in terms of growth and development. Yeah. Yeah. I think Adam Grant was specifically saying with Warby Parker, uh, they were confronting that phrase people use of, oh, well, until you go all in, it's not really going to take off. And what Adam Grant was saying is they have found in companies that that's not actually the case. The people who go all in before it's time actually don't go make broke. it. <laughs> and they jump out. But the people who let it grow to the point where they can't not go all in, and you know when that time comes, then you make the jump and there's the momentum that you go in and start to ride on. Right. But if you do it before the momentum's there, it, you better be really well funded independently right. um, because you also don't have proven concept for people to come and invest in. Right. So there is a there's a tension point of when that is, but it is a little later than I think most people think. And I would say getting skills at selling is a huge asset because the ability to serve your customer, make it about them, not dangle them on a hook because you got to make a sale has real impact in long-term customer retention. And so anyways, hearing what you guys are studying, I'm like, that's... Uh, that's a huge skill in the market. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I'm mostly sales, Sean's sales and entrepreneurship. So he probably has a little more insight on how to not just go all in without anything behind you. But for me, entrepreneurship sometimes sounds scary. And sure. um, I think that's really insightful to share, especially with our students who are trying to understand. I have this big idea I'm really excited about after graduation, but maybe I need to pad myself a little bit and slow it grow it slowly, um, and then get there someday and really step all in. So I think that's really good insight to share. It's a lot of the students here, you know, at Baylor, we do 
put a big emphasis on leadership. So what are ways that some of these students can start integrating that and things that they're doing now, activities, extracurriculars? Yeah, leader, again, leadership, from my perspective, is all about developing other people and helping them be successful. So creating clarity, like group projects, student, volunteer leadership opportunities, anything you can step into, the way to... People say our leaders born or are they made? And I would say some people have a natural proclivity to inspire and delegate, but I think a lot of leadership is about learning how to do it. It's a skill set, not just the ability to like wild the crowd. Um, and so anytime you get the opportunity to step into um, places where you can grow and your gaps can be exposed, the more comfortable you are with what you're not good at and getting feedback into that, to me that's the best path for leadership because you're not easily offended. And you can actually walk in humility to learn from the people that are working for you and realize that leadership and development is happening all the time if you can see it and if you can hear it. So any opportunity students can get to step into those uh, moments will always be helpful, even if you feel like, um, you know, this isn't an official thing, it doesn't matter. Um, even informal opportunities are helpful. And I would say that's on the experiential side of being able to uh, test both your strengths as well as your gaps. Um, because leadership is not about what comes naturally. I think what Justin said about you have to learn and grow and develop. If the organization is growing faster out here um, than it is growing internally in your ability to handle what's going on, if you're not growing as a leader, it will overtake you and you will scuttle your own ship. But to find another leader that is really good at leadership and getting in any position to serve them, to learn from their leadership is enormous. Um, leadership is not intuitive. So many people think, oh, they're just a gifted leader and they're, I'm like, that will get you in the door of leadership. It will not enable you to become an effective leader. So you have to learn from somebody else. And then you need opportunities to actually test your leadership. And I would even add on to that, even the things you're naturally really great at, to scale your leadership, you have to start moving from intuitive to counterintuitive. That's right. It's actually the opposite of what you start to feel uh, your natural bend would be to be able to scale. So if you're really great at strategic uh, execution, you got to get great at mentoring others who can also do that. If you're great at mentoring, you got to get better at strategic execution. And there's a whole host of competencies in between that. But to Sean's point, great leadership is often counterintuitive. It's not intuitive. Yeah, absolutely. I think... I mean, I have learned so much during our conversation today about how much depth and breadth there is to leadership, and it's so much more than just a word, right? There's so much meaning behind it. There's different ways to approach it and different um, dynamics to it. But I, I know you advise a lot of different entrepreneurs, startups, and how to create leadership um, and begin to cultivate that in their companies. But if you were to talk to a young entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe a student here at Baylor who wants to step into that after graduation, what would be one piece of advice you would give them on how to start their business successfully? Yeah, I think um, it starts with the mindset of being a lifelong learner. I think you've got to realize uh, development is ongoing throughout every decade of your life. And the more you can invest the time in personal growth, that will prepare you to develop other people because you've actually had to go through the process yourself. So 
I would just say always be a learner, always be open. You can't do everything, so you will have to focus it. And I, I would even add to that, you can't develop other people if you yourself are not Agreed. developing. Yeah. It requires you to learn how to develop personally to be able to do it with others. Keep going, but No, anyway, so all of that to say, just um, be a lifelong learner. Realize the journey's beginning. Graduating from college is an end, it's a new beginning. And with every iteration of your business, from just you at the kitchen table, to a little rinky-dink office, to something that you envision, every level of that business is gonna require your growth and change. And, like he says, rinky-dink office. His original office was his son's bedroom. <laughs> and because we were in a virtual world, I knew where he was sitting. He had it all nice against one wall, but I knew he was sitting in his son's bedroom. Who would awesome. always tell him, Dad, when do I get my room back? And I would tell him, when are you going to clean my office? <laughs> <laughs> so it really is that, and it may be that for a while uh, because it is a journey. The other thing, I hear people who are graduating from Baylor and they're going to get jobs with Accenture or McKinsey or whatever, and I'm thrilled that they get the experience. But consulting and, and any work that you're stepping into, uh, it's one thing to have some level of head knowledge. It is a completely different thing to have experience. And I think for Justin and I to have over 20 years of experience in both operations and business and, and accounting and, and other things, there's a whole lot that we're pulling from that enables us at this stage of our life to start a business that looks different. So I just say, don't be afraid to take opportunities before you launch your own. Um, because if you have a developmental mindset, you're going to be learning in each one of those, and it will make you better prepared to give your client better service when that day comes. And maybe the last thing I'll add, I remember reading an article, I think it was about tech founders, and they said the average age of a tech founder is 45. And I was like, that actually makes a ton of sense being in my 40s now that 10, 15 years ago didn't make sense. I thought you had to be like successful by 31. And I would just say that's not true. And so even if you have interest in entrepreneurship, but maybe not, it's not the right time, that doesn't mean it's a no forever. And sometimes the experiences that you, you're gonna have in your career will prepare you to step out at a later stage. Sean, Justin, thank you guys so much for being here with us today and taking us along y'all's walk with Leap Development. I think that both me and Erica and our listeners were able to take away a lot of valuable meaning in it. Yeah, thanks guys. We appreciate having y'all. You betcha. Thank you.